we, we really need to invite God to come into our life. And at the end of this message, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, are, are you willing to invite God to come in and judge the beliefs of your heart in order for the lies to be exposed by truth? Because God will never tell you a lie. He only speaks truth. And that truth will change any deception that you believe in your heart and your life. So in Judges 21, 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. If you remember back when I was telling you about democracy, and you know everybody kind of chooses what they think is right. In democracy, the, the people choose what the mor moral morals will be of that nation. Uh, but in the kingdom of God, the king determines what is right and what is wrong. He determines uh, truth and lies. And when you're to rule your own, we live in a culture now that whatever is your truth is your truth. Uh, live your truth. You'll hear statements like that all the time. Everyone says they have their own truth. And when truth becomes subjective, when we determine what it is for ourselves, order will fall in the sea of chaos. Truth is not created by individuals or political correctness, nor is it left to be defined by the whims of culture. Truth is a person, and its name is Jesus. That truth holds all things together, and Jesus doesn't just speak the truth. He is the truth. Our pursuit of Christ is the pursuit of truth. So you have to choose whether you'll submit to truth. Will you, will you allow him to direct the steps of your future or will you be the judge of that? A lot of people pursue Jesus as their Savior, but they reject him as Lord. There's all kinds of religious leaders. Buddha said, I am a seeker of truth. Muhammad said, I am a prophet of truth. But only Jesus said, I am the truth. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Christ is truth. And this post-Christian um, American culture, and I think we have to accept the fact that the reason it's a post-Christian American culture is because there is a large season of time where the church didn't take serious the importance of it preaching the gospel of Christ. If, if the church is going to turn around, it will not be because people like me are preaching the good news of Jesus. It'll be because you're preaching the good news of Jesus to the people you work with and you live around. You know, it's interesting to listen to the deep philosophical discussions about truth as they talk about uh, the, the fact that there are no truths, or it's whatever you want it to be. And the, the funny one to me was listening to someone say, there are no truths, you know, truth isn't that, that important. And, and even in making that statement, how do we know what you're saying is true? Like, it, it collapses on itself. If there are no truth, then you're a liar. And I'll go back to the original premise, that there is truth, right? So doubting Thomas, or some could call Thomas the pursuer of truth, that Thomas was actually a pursuer of truth. Who was this man? We don't see a lot about him in the, in the disciples until more the end. And what's interesting is during Jesus' ministry, then Thomas, also known as Denimus, 
uh, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. What's interesting is, uh, isn't it funny how we remember the low moments of people's lives? I mean, even in the Bible, we still point to the low moments, the woman with the issue of blood, the woman caught in adultery, doubting Thomas. Like, these are identity things that we give them in the Bible. Now, they're not in the Bible in the text, but the writers or the, the people who put them in translations put headings to call them that. I don't think that's what they're called in heaven, right? Yeah. Thomas is in it. We remember him for doubting that Jesus was dead, and the reality is... Every one of us in here would have doubted if he's alive. I'll explain it in a minute. This Thomas was the one when they heard Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and he was probably going to die. It was Thomas that spoke up and said, let's go with them. Let's die together. Yay. Thanks, Thomas. I was thinking more, let's convince him not to go to Jerusalem, you know, Thomas, but you want to go. You have some death wish or something. No, he's like, if Jesus is going to go, I want to go with him. Now, like all the rest of the disciples, with the exception of John, they ran, which, by the way, is interesting. The only one who did not run was, was John, and the only one who was not martyred was John. Even when they tried to martyr him, they couldn't martyr him. Because he never ran. Interesting. It's an interesting to consider. How many love the redemptive power of God? But here's the, when you stand in courage, even when they're attacking you, God says, I'm with you. Right? There is a reward when you stand, when everyone else is running. There is a reward in that. That's another message. Don't get me into that one. He, he, he was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, but then Jesus dies. And, and uh, he, like every one of us in here, would assume he would stay dead. I mean, no one in here is doing the raise the dead service before a funeral service. I mean, no one in, like, no, I'm willing to bet, maybe I'm wrong if I were a betting man, I would be willing to bet not many, if anybody in here has ever gone to a casket before the funeral and say, let's pray to raise him from the dead, right? Now, I did that, and I was, I was the pastor of the service, and I didn't just do it when there's like 10 people there. It's safe, so I can say I did it, let's do it now, right? I did it. And in, in, when we were in Michigan, the sanctuary said 1,000 people, and it was packed. The mayors of all three cities were there. The city council was there because it was a city council person who was attending our church who had died. She was 50 years old. And I said, we're going to pray to raise her from the dead. And you want to see people move? Like, they're looking at what? Like, what? Doesn't it say these signs will follow those who believe? it's 100% likely you will never raise anyone from the dead if you don't ask. Do you know why you never hear people being raised from the dead in America? Because nobody's asking for it to happen. Do you know how many people could have come back to life that weren't because no one's asking? You don't because no one's asking. So like Thomas, you expect dead people to stay dead. When you come, you come grieving in your heart, showing your respects, because you don't expect them to live. And like Thomas, now listen, 
But Jesus had raised people from the dead, so couldn't it have been, ex- and he just done that, couldn't he have? But the one who raised them from the dead was dead. Who is going to raise him from the dead? And listen to this. When Lazarus was put in the tomb, he was put in the tomb as a whole man. When Jesus was put in the tomb, his body had been ripped beyond recognition. Swelling would have been in his body. Jesus, by just the flogging, would never have been able to physically stand up because the muscles had been ripped from his skeleton body. So the muscles that would have pulled up, like the ones you, you don't have anymore in your back, some of you are walking like, yeah, they don't work anymore. I'm just... No, they were actually ripped from his back. He would not have been able to stand. It was actually an incredible miracle that he was able to carry the cross on his back because he would have been using only his frontal muscles. So anyone who thought he was a lady man has no idea. He was very fit, and he carried, right? So if he comes out of the tomb alive, what would he have looked like? Like he would have been a closed casket funeral, So for Thomas to even consider that, yeah, I want to believe it's true because I love Jesus. I thought he was the Messiah, but at this point, he's dead. He's not the Messiah. I want him to come out because I love him. Who wouldn't when you love somebody? But I'm not going to let my grief compensate and make me believe something that isn't true. By the way, today we need a doubting Thomas to prove that Jesus was resurrected We needed Thomas to doubt because he could stand and say, I didn't believe him. I wasn't a part of a conspiracy. If I don't see it, I'm not going to believe it. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to him, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. So in that moment, now I'm the one who made the mistake on this slide. I don't know why I keep calling Thomas Simon, but I did. I, in fact, Simon's all over my message. I wasn't even talking about Simon. I was talking about, I just like Simon. And there's a Simon here. I just like that name, yeah. So, so here, here's this. It said, in that moment, Thomas, Thomas's truth was a lie. If you remember in the story of Jacob and Joseph, when, when they they took Joseph's robe, they dipped it in blood, and they brought it to Jacob. Jacob looked at the evidence before him, Joseph's robe dipped in blood, and Jacob by himself, because his son said, we found this robe, and Jacob by himself said, my son has been killed by ferocious animals. Why? Because he had the evidence of a robe dipped in blood. What he didn't realize is he had believed a lie because the truth was Joseph was still alive. He had the evidence that he was dead, but he, the truth was he's alive. And some of you are looking at the evidence that says something, but it's a lie because the truth is it's not that at all. See, Thomas believed the lie he was dead because he saw him put in a tomb, the stone rolled closed, and yet the the truth was Jesus was alive. That Jesus was alive. Look, it says a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And through the door were locked, though the door were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, who's got to be looking at Jesus and going, what is this? Like, 
what did we just get a hologram machine or something? Like, what? What would you do if someone you know, you love dead is standing in front of you? Right? You know, when I, my mom died when I was 15, and uh, three months after we were married, um, uh, I'm, I'm at night, I had a dream that was so real to me, I actually talked to my mother in the dream. And it was like, if you remember the Back to the Future thing where he looks into the window where he was at him, he's like looking at himself through the window. I looked in the window and my mom and grandfathers were in there and they were all talking and my mom looked at me through the window and came out the door and actually talked to me. And I asked her questions that I had had and it was so real, it totally shifted my life with some of the things that had happened. I mean, it was that tangible. And, and I wake up when she said bye, I wake up and I go, my mom's in the room. And he Heather's like, it was morning. Heather said it was so real. I started freaking out. There was a dead person in our room. Like she, because it was so like tangible to me. And in that sense, what would you do if this person you loved and lived with was standing right there? There had to be this shock that he was feeling. And it says, he said to Thomas, peace be, be with you. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put into my side. S stop doubting and believe. And I believe there's a word right now for someone in this room that God is saying to you, you need to stop doubting what I've been telling you for a long time. And you need to start believing. You need to stop looking at the evidence of what you see and start believing the word I've told you because my word is truth. The evidence is the lie. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence you don't have. But you know the word of God has been spoken about it and you need to trust the word and that's a word God has for you today. It goes on, then Jesus told them, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus performed many other signs of the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life. And eventually, Thomas would take the gospel, was the one apostle that would take the gospel to the furthest distance. In fact, today, the nation of India consider Thomas to be the father of Christianity in India, and many believe even into China that he had went. So, Here's the question, what is truth? It is the eternal question. In fact, it is a reoccurring question. You have people asking what is truth all the time. And I watched a, a podcast of a non-believer talking, asking this question of what is truth. He went to Cambridge and Oxford, and he's asking guys what the truth is. And each of them said it can't, can't be defined. But it's a very biblical question. In John 18, it says, You are king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say I am king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't talk about the king. He talks about truth. Everyone on the side of truth, what, is they, what do they do? They listen to me. See, remember, one of the first things that you do when you become a believer is you get water baptized. Why? Because God said so, and he's king. You don't need to have reason why. If you're asking why, he's still not your king. You do what he says because he's your king. So you get water baptized because it's the first step of saying, I'm going to obey the king. If you're in here saying, well, I'm just not going to do it, you're going to have a real long walk with Jesus. Because there will be a struggle of who's going to be obedient. 
Is God going to be obedient to you? Because that's the type of relationship you're setting up where, God, I'm praying, asking you to do something. Will you obey me or am I going to obey you? How many know what I'm talking about right now? Because a lot of our prayer time is about God obeying what I want. Instead of me obeying him. But the very next thing, in fact, almost synonymous, the first thing you need to do, what every parent should teach their children is how to hear the voice of God. Because you cannot actually follow God without knowing his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. To be a Christian means to be a follower of Christ. You have to know his voice in order to follow him. So you must know your voice. And he says, everyone on the side of truth, what do they do? They listen to me. Not to some professor, not to some pastor. They listen to me. And then Pilate says this famous statement, what is truth? If Pilate really wanted to know what truth was, he would have seen it. If he had a desire in his heart to know truth, it would have been revealed to him truth was standing right in front of him. He would have saw it. See, this is the thing we have a hard time with because we view all of this like religion from a point of knowledge. Knowing the truth is different than experiencing the truth. What is the truth? What is the truth? Jesus says, I'm right here. The Pharisees thought they knew the truth. Truth was right in front of them, but they didn't know it. How many of us, if truth would come and stand right in front of you, you wouldn't see it? See, there is something in us that wants to be deceived. There is a spirit in us that, that wants to work to be deceived. Some of us want, if you want the truth, if you're on a pursuit to know the truth, you're going to find the truth. But how many know I'd re some of us would just rather sit in the deception? Right? There's, how many have ever done one of these Life 360s? I'm going to prove it to you. Right? There's a Life 360. How many have ever done one? Anyone in here done a Life 360? This is just, okay. So we set it up. You can go on a website and you can do a Life 360. What we're going to do is we're going to send all the people that are in your small group or you know, they're going to fill out what they think about you, honestly. There's, there's a bunch of questions they're going to answer and they're going to write down what they think about you, and it's anonymous, so you won't know who it is, so they're going to be honest about what they think about you, and they're going to write in grand detail of the things they think is you. <laughs> and then we're going to submit to you your Life 360 report. Now, how many say, I don't want to do that, I got to go to the bathroom when we do that? <laughs> do you know how many people won't go through a Life 360? You know why? I'd rather live in what I think people perceive me as than actually know what they do. I don't want the truth of what they think. I want to live in my deception. Do you realize the reason why many of us don't pursue truth is we don't want to know the truth? You know, in Kairos, we're doing a retreat in a couple of weeks, the first weekend in March. It's Friday night, Saturday, all day, and a Sunday morning. And one of the things we do in this retreat, there, there's only one short small group, and it's not like a small group on Saturday night. Otherwise, the rest of it is just spending time with God. It's Kairos moments. It's nothing like the Kairos class, totally different sessions. But on Friday night, we talk about truth and lie. 
And literally, we spend Friday night going to the Lord and saying, God, will you reveal to me? I invite you to come in to reveal any lies in my life. And then you hear from what the Lord has to say. Now, the Lord won't tell you the lie. He only tells you the truth that ends the lie. But many people would rather just go on living in their deception rather than know the truth. And there's a problem in that, and you're going to know it in a moment because I'll share it with you in a moment. There is, how many know there is a truth war going on right now in the world? And a lot of you are thinking, yeah, what I believe against what everyone else believes. Because I'm just telling you the truth. No, it's sometimes you're just telling your opinion. Just tell me what you think it is. You know, there's a parable of the builder. <laughs> and you build your house on the rock or you build your house on the sand. When the storm comes, if you're built on the truth, that house is going to stand. You built on the sand, the storm's going to blow it down because the truth remains. Deception will not. Because truth can be experienced. How do I know what's truth? Because after the storms come, I'm still standing on the rock. If I, you know, there was a doctor, or a man, he went to the doctor because he's having severe pain in his kidney area, and he went in, he said, doctor, what's wrong? And the man said, oh, man, you have a tumor in there. We need to do an aggressive surgery. We can take it out with some success, but the next year of your life, you're going to have to, you're probably going to have to not be at work a lot, so you're going to struggle, you know, there won't be a lot of money there, but, but with the aggressive surgery, some work on it, um, and a lot of pain, over the next year, you, you have a very good chance that you're going to come out of this okay. He goes, okay, doctor, but I'm going to get a second opinion. And he goes over to Dr. B. And Dr. B says, ah, oh, don't worry about it. It's not that bad. You know, some people just get worked up about that. But you know, it probably won't be anything at all. Don't worry. You'll get over it. Why? Why do you keep working? Why let it disrupt your life? You're okay. There's no problem. A year later, that man's laying on his deathbed, and he realized in that moment the truth wasn't what he wanted to hear, but it would have put him in a totally different position than where he's at right now. Now, before you get too judgmental and worried about the speck in someone else's eye, you should consider the beam in your own. Smile. Because the reality is, all of us love to hear that what we believe is right. Because none of us want to go through the work of changing. None of us want to go to a Kairos retreat because I'd rather sit home and watch basketball. I'd rather pretend like there's nothing in me trying to destroy me. And I'm telling you right now, deception always destroys. So let's, let's take a look at John 8, 31 to 47. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the... That was horrible. <laughs> Come on, we all have said it. Then you will. And uh, <laughs> there are very few verses said more in our society than that verse, right? 
So you all know it. They answered him. I mean, I could go to a bar and start that verse, and they would all finish it to me, right? That, I mean, people who've never been in church could finish that verse. They know that verse. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. And this is, this is so funny to me. <laughs> we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. Now, how does Jesus keep a straight face? You're currently in bondage to the Roman Empire. Like, hello? What did you want the Messiah to do? You wanted him to deliver you from the point where you're at in Rome. And did you, like, forget, just, like, wipe from your mind the 70 years in Babylon? Right? Because when you're deceived, logic doesn't even play into it. History doesn't play into it. The facts are kind of twistable. <laughs> you know what's funny is, right now you're thinking about all those people who twist the facts to believe what they want to believe is true, and you're probably the worst. <laughs> because that's what humans do. When we really want to believe something, we'll twist the facts. Right? I, I didn't share this before, but my wife one time, I, you know, I was young and brash and still I'm kind of young and growing out of the brashness, but I'm still young. No, I still have a lot of that. And my wife, we were coming home one time and my wife's like, James, you got to change. And she told me this whole thing, I had to change. And I'm like, well, tell me why. You know, this is an argument, a passionate discussion. <laughs> and she goes into her facts and and I present my facts, and you all know I wanted to be a lawyer before, so I argued her right out of her point. She just huffed. You know, my wife's gotten to a point where she just, ah, whatever. <laughs> and then the Lord speaks to me, and he says, James, do you think she wants to hurt you? There isn't anyone on the planet that loves you more than her, because your mama's not here. <laughs> She's the one that loves you more than anything else. And I realized she wasn't saying it to hurt me. She wanted to help me, but I didn't like it. Because if what she was saying was true, I have to change. And I don't want to change. How can you say that we shall be set free, Jesus replied? Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in a family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word, truth. I am telling you what... Now, these Pharisees had been studying the truth for years, but had no idea that his truth was right there because... They didn't experience the word or truth. They knew it. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you're doing what you have heard your father from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you are Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did, did not do such things. You're doing the works of your father. We are not illegitimate children, they protest, protested. The only father we have is God himself. 
And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Now, this is pretty bold. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out the father, your father's desires. Listen to this. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no, no, say it with me, no truth in him. Satan, Satan cannot speak truth any more than God can speak lies. So when people say Satan speaks truth to get you to do, Satan cannot speak truth. He can't speak truth. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So inside of us, when we step into the kingdom, there is a magnetic pull to truth. Or there's a magnetic pull to deception. It's one of the fruits of knowing where you're going. What, what, where am I, am I being moved to embracing deception? Or am I letting, and we have a big word in the church called sanctification. It's this magnetic pull to becoming like Christ. And when you, truth, when you experience the truth, the truth sets you free, and it's pulling you that direction. And then there's, and, and we're in a church now where nobody reads their Bible anymore. Yet we're watching Netflix. What do you think the magnetic pull is? I've never seen a church more comfortable with nudity on television than it is right now. Here's the question. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Father of lies? The father of truth. Who's your daddy? Here's the pursuit of deception. Because the number one deception is Satan. Number one deception is Satan's only weapon. Satan is the father of lies. In a world where Christ is truth, Satan is deception. No one really believes they're deceived. Everybody thinks they're, they believe the truth, yet they're not even in the truth. They're not even in the Word. They don't know the Word. They don't, they're not praying and on a daily basis, talking to God, hearing His voice. But I go to church. I read the Bible once. As if it's just a book to be read, and now I can discuss it. And yet the, the Word of God is, when God speaks to us is the Word of God. And when we read the Word, it's, it's life. It pulls us into truth. It's a magnetic pull that pulls us in the truth. But when you cut it off, nothing is pulling you. You say, well, I got the Spirit of God living in you. Yes! But the Holy Spirit and the Word work together. To pull you in. What we're doing is slowly moving into a direction that's destructive. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves any, of anyone. How can we say, you say that we shall be set free? They didn't even have logical sense. 
When you're deceived, logic doesn't play into it. You, you cannot have a logical argument. Literally, in a millennial culture now, everything's an argument. Well, that's not the case because one situation may not be the case. It determines an entire truth. Like nothing's stable. They've been deceived. And if you're in that generation, hear me. God has a great plan for your life. But it first starts by stop doubting and start believing. Does it make sense? No. It didn't make sense that Jesus would come back to life. But he did. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 says this. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. What is it? The unbeliever. What am I? Am I a believer or an unbeliever? What will you believe? Will you trust his word and believe it's true? And then you'll be standing when the storm comes. You'll experience the word and it will be proven true in your life. Or you'll be stand crumbling under the force of the storm. The only force we have to deal with the deception in our life is prayer. And here's, I want you to see something. Satan uses the deception to keep you from, his deception from being exposed. By the way, Satan doesn't make you do anything. You empower his lies. You know, when I was a kid, I told my dad, Satan made me do it, right? I don't know, dad, Satan made me do it. I didn't know what I know now. I know now that my frontal cortex of my brain had not developed at, at a point where I could make logical decisions. And I could have said, dad, it's all biology. I'm not smart enough to make good decisions. That's why I did. Because how many times your dad asked, why'd you do that? And you said, I, like, I got nothing there. I have no idea why I did it. How many know what I'm talking about? Like you went to that point in your brain, you're like, the only thing you could say is Satan made me do it because <laughs> it's like nothing is there, <laughs> right? Anyway, and all the guys in the room are thinking, I'm still in that place and I'm 35, like nothing, I don't know why, <laughs> right? Here's the only thing, prayer. You say to God, God, I open my heart to you. Will you come in and judge the deception of my life? Will you release your truth? Give me a revelation of truth. And you know you will, but you know why so many people don't? Because they fear God. They fear if you invite God into your life, the God of truth that will set you free, you fear it will do things you don't want to walk through in your life. And so I'd rather just live in my deception with the hope of making it to heaven than ever experience the power of life on earth. Every good and perfect gift comes from... If every good and perfect gift comes from Father in heaven, then every destructive thing comes from Satan. The lie is you can't trust God because he'll hurt you when in reality, God's the only one who can help you. But you got to invite him in. You got to invite truth to come and live in you. It's the only way of dealing with deception. Number two, deception leads to murder. 
Deception leads to murder. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Satan, everything Satan touches, all deception living in you is killing parts of you somewhere. It's either killing your friendships, it's killing your marriage, it's killing your finances, it's killing your health. Literally, any deception you believe in you is killing you right now. The best thing you could do today is say, God, I'm dying inside. I need Because everyone in here, we all established, everyone in here believes a lie that you think is true. Why wouldn't you invite? Because that lie is murdering you. It's murdering some aspect of your life. Why not say, God, come in and put an end to the thing that's trying to kill me? Satan's only purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. You know, um, I've never seen this more than I do right now, where we allow things to come in and, like, literally destroy us. I would have brought up the Netflix stuff. Like, we... Or, and Netflix being all of it. I'm just using it as an example. Some of you are like, phew, I'm glad you didn't say Hulu. <laughs> I'm talking about all the social media, right? At the State of the Union address, I saw two Congress people with pens that said, I love abortion in the place where the American flag was. In my heart, deceived. Listen to me. I don't hate those people. In fact, my heart went to them. They are deceived. I'm not going to write a nasty letter to them. They're deceived. Do you know, in Minnesota, we passed a law that allows the abortions to happen one day before they're born, up to one day before a baby's born. And in a failed abortion attempt, up to 28 days after they're outside the womb. That's called child sacrifices. Deception brings you to a point where you don't even know how you got there. This is a desperate cry. Heed the word of Dr. A. But I think Dr. B is the one that's got our attention. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about all the demonic influences that you keep watching and listening. Think that it's just, I don't believe it until you do. In a culture that now identifies it doesn't, it doesn't matter what logic says. We trade truth, number three, we trade truth for lies. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created and created rather than the created things rather than the creator. It doesn't have to make bio. I mean, biology says, biology, science says, this is a man, this is a woman. They cannot even tell you what a woman is, but they want you to believe that that person's a woman. How do you call that person a woman if you don't even know how to define it? 
their own stupidity comes out when you don't have a truth, when you don't have a system of truth or any of it. Like, Like you start to be, it says in the Bible, that the wise become fools. And and they have no idea because deception is deception. You are deceived by your own deception. Like you think that's somehow intelligent. There's this thing called de- deconstruction. In this post-Christian generation, there are a number of people that are, that are going through a, this thing called deconstruction where what they believe, they're deconstructing it and they think it's really cool and it's a buzzword and and, and we're deconstructing our faith and what we once believed. And, and in some ways, I think it can be helpful. There are things we do need to deconstruct. In fact, there is a deconstruction that happens when we come to Christ. The Pharisees, the disciples went through an aspect of deconstruction. They had believed religion. And when Jesus came, there was a deconstruction to see things differently. Repentance is changing the way you think. But that is not what deconstruction is. That's not what deconstruction is. In fact, I I looked into it and I studied deconstruction. The father of deconstruction says, deconstruction is not something that you're meant to go through like an event. It is an aspect of thinking. You, You perpetually deconstruct because there are no truths. So anything that seems like that this is the way it is, you gotta go through the form of deconstructing it. It's a perpetual process of deconstruction. G.K. Chesterton, 20th century English theologian, said this, We shall soon be in a world where a man shall be hunted down for saying two plus two equals four, where people will be persecuted, persecute the heresy of calling a triangle a three-sided figure, and hang a man for asserting that the grass is green. The great march of mental destruction will continue until everything will be denied. Truth is not owned by us, it's stewarded by us. A professor of the philosophy of Cambridge in this podcast I watched on truth, he made this statement, truth is just a device of generalization. There is little value or even sense to truth, to the truth in general. We put too much I couldn't believe it. I had to watch it a couple of He says, we put too much weight on knowing truth. And I'm like, what do you think you're trying to do in philosophy? You spent your whole life trying to pursue it. It's like, but they don't see it. They don't even, they don't understand it. If there is no God, then there's no ability or argument for concrete, concrete truth. However, if there is a creator God, then absolute truth cannot Uh, It cannot be discovered. If there is a God, there is absolute truth. 67% of Americans, did I tell you this? 67% of Americans don't believe in absolute truth. So the pursuit of truth, here it is. One, you need to experience truth. You have to experience truth. Knowing the truth is different than experiencing the truth. Knowing the truth is different than experiencing the truth. Secondly, Truth produces faith. If you hold to my teachings, you are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Your faith will not change what is true. Truth will change your faith. And lastly, truth never changes. You know, there's an attack on the Bible right now. Will you stand? I got caught up in this message, and I lost sight of time. 
there's an attack of the Bible. People say, well, the Bible was written by men, so why should I believe what men said? Because Jesus did. The Old Testament was written by men, and Jesus quoted the Old Testament when he walked the earth. Jesus, God. So apparently, Jesus didn't have a problem with men writing it, his word. So you shouldn't either. I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer. It's a very simple prayer, but it's a prayer of saying, God, I invite you into my heart to judge the deception that is hidden in it. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Search my heart, O Lord. Search my heart, O Lord. Will you say this with me? You can look at me. Everyone look at me. Let's say it together. If you don't want to pray it, don't pray it. Only if you want to. Say this with me. Father, search my heart. I invite you to come into my heart and deal with the deception that is living inside of me so that I might experience life. 